Welcome and thank you so much for tuning in to this edition of Free Thinking with Montana today. As more and more revelations come out about the chaos in the White House and the dangerous incompetence of this president, it's hard to find an elected Republican who's willing to stand up and speak an obvious truth. Allowing the madness to continue is a clear and present danger, folks. Joining me again today is Mr. Jonathan Franks, my senior advisor to Montel Media Group and also the president of Lucid Strategies. John, welcome back to Free Thinking with Montel. Great to be here. Great to have you, my friend. Look, I'm telling you, it seems like every single day there's another, you know, revelation of some ridiculous chaos that this president has done this morning. I'm watching the news, and uh, uh, I should say recently I was watching the news and, and heard that there was a proposal presented to the president that said, let's send every household in America six masks because we know, as the Surgeon General has stated, you know, surgical masks, are probably as effective as any vaccine to preventing COVID, yet the president decided not to do so, claiming that he didn't want to do so because he didn't want to send fear into the hearts of the American populace, yet at the same time, he sends fear into the hearts of the American populace by saying that there's a black guy coming in your back door. Boogeyman's on his way. Do everything you can to get the boogeyman out of the suburbs. I mean, he is trying his best to gen up as much fear as he possibly can on issues that don't matter, but on issues that matter, he's saying that he doesn't want to spread fear. Isn't that the story of the entire Trump presidency, having it both ways? You know, having both sides of every argument, when it's convenient for him, he takes a side. And I think part of the reason they didn't do the mask thing, right? While they say it's about panic, when he says it's about preventing panic, he means the stock market, not amongst people, right? Because even in his Woodward tapes, right? Like at the end, he said, you know, he seems incredulous when he asked Woodward, you know, it, the, the virus is more important than the economy in the election. And Woodward goes, absolutely. And the only person that doesn't seem to understand it is Donald Trump. So also I think he and Jared, right? And, and you know, having known Jared at an earlier time in our lives, right? Nice guy, but should just doesn't have the substance to be in his job. Wait, 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 wait. I'm so sorry. I can't let you get away with saying nice guy. I think he's an asshole. I think he's a pure and simple ass. He is probably as racist as his father is. And he is so stupid that he sits back and allows his father to be as racist with him. He's a Jewish man who literally let his father say that people who are marching up and down the streets, Jews will not replace us and holding tiki torches and making comments about the fact that how ignorant his father was in letting him marry his white daughter walking around his chest puffed out and he never said a word about it. I don't, I don't Jared, buy it. No, no. And again, Jared should not be in the position that he's in, period. Right? He's way overconfident. He has no understanding of how the world works, right? And he's just an entitled kid. Did you say he's way overconfident? Confident. Oh, yeah, because there's no confidence. Way overconfident. Like, on a scale that's hardly been seen. But they fought, honest to God. They, Jared had a plan to gear up testing, this mask thing, you know, and they really thought that it was going to be a blue state thing. And so politically, they could blame the couple of governors and the couple of blue states that got bad, keep the economy open. They're all panicked about the stock market. So keep the stock market and the economy going. And the hell with the, you know, 
10,000, 20,000 lives lost in blue states, which is what they thought at the time. And how about the, from him to hell with his own children? His grand, the grandfather makes a comment as racially disparaging as the ones he made after the, the you know, the, the Charlotte thing, and he doesn't speak out against his father. Stop. I, I, a lot I, of their, now you got to understand, there's a lot of folks in the right-wing Jewish community, right, who are willing to look things like that out, right, over policy goals like move the embassy to Jerusalem over like allowing BB to pursue annexation. Um, you know, they're, they're willing to give up a lot when it comes to morality to sort of get to these goals. And it's very, it's like sort of a cutthroat mentality. His father, Jared's father, Charlie has always had. That doesn't, but then but I'm sorry, but that doesn't stand for a good person in my heart. I didn't say he was a good person. I said he's a nice guy. I don't even, doesn't even stand for a nice guy in my heart. If you're People a can fake that. Right? I, you can fake nice. Yeah. Well. And he's that good at faking nice, right? And faking, you know, nice, he's, faking nice to those who believe the same crap that his father believes. Oh, like, you know, if you met him at a party, he would be perfectly polite to you, be impressed with his manners, right? He grew up in a rich home. I see and, right through it. I would see right through it in a heartbeat. He's a disgusting, racist little son of a bitch. That's who he is. I don't I I I don't know that I would go with full on racist. I just think he's incompetent. I, I would go with full-on racist because right. he's supporting all the full-on racist things that his father-in-law is doing. Not that I'm just trying to argue with him now. Well, but, they, but, but again, like all of his kids do this, right? It's like, you know, hold the party line. Like, remember, Jared and Ivanka have, in that first book that set him over the edge, the Michael Wolf book, they were criticizing him brutally, and they do all the time. It's well-known in Washington. They don't necessarily, they, they see him as, as nuts as we do. A racist is as racist does. His daughter is just as racist as the father. I do not buy this thing that you can separate their ideas. I believe very strongly that that is a racist lineage. It's been a racist lineage since the grandfather. It's been racist throughout their entire time in any form of public life. And so you can smile in my face all you want, but I know that the knife is in your pocket and you're ready to stab me in the back the second I turn around. I don't buy it. Don't buy it at all. And I will never agree with that. I'm so sorry. No, I actually think he hates left-leaning Jews more than he hates, you know, um, people of color. That's just like, it, it, it's really all he's focused on, right? Is these business deals he's made with Dubai and uh, with the Emirates and with Bahrain and, you know, masquerading as a peace deal. It's a business arrangement. And, and that's only because that's where the surface has him at. If you had an opportunity to hear him probably at a cocktail party without anybody in earshot, you would hear all the racist dry type diatribes that you hear to come out of Ivanka's mouth also. I'm not buying it. I will not buy it. I, mm -hmm. I think that they live to, to live up to the expectations of his father-in-law and her father. That's what Now I'm that's true. That, that piece is true. Two, two people more eager for their father's approval do not exist. Well, you know, I mean, when you look at the revelations that have come out in multiple books in the last three to four weeks, like, I do not understand why, you know, voters don't see the danger in continuing to follow this clown. Why, why is that? that? I do. And, and, and I would have told you three years ago before I when I was living in California, right, before I moved to middle America, I would have told you I would have said the same thing. I do now understand it. It's illogical, right? These folks are afraid. They're afraid of everything, right? Uh, you know, the, um, the, particularly the sort of unrest in some American cities, right? That, that has really, 
you know, set the, um, these folks live in a fantasy land. Unless you're talking about any protest whatsoever. I'm talking when they can show stuff with things burning, right? Um, you know, no, I don't think that they're triggered by people holding signs peace and peacefully marching. I think it's the, well, the violence. People holding signs outside of the White House and no one spoke out against the fact that the president moved in, you know, uh, the, the bar moved in troops, pushed people away, fired, you know, tear gas, and they were peacefully protesting. There was no fire. There was no burning. But these people... Eh, they, they, there was burning in Lafayette Park. Not much, right? there. I drove past that... Um, that park the other day, like the entire blocks for blocks, right? There's ground floor windows knocked out. There was some, there was some chaos. Now he fed that chaos, right? And lit the match, right? And we find out in the, um, in a revelation the other day that he actually, and there's emails to this effect, right? They were trying to get a LRAD, a long range acoustical device and a heat ray right, which is a, a non-lethal weapon that if you're in the beam and in range, it makes your skin feel like it's on fire. They're trying to get that to use against American civilians. And we know that because the commanding officer, the D.C. National Guard, right, made a whistleblower complaint. But again, a general on that particular day, when that happened, there were not fires. Burning. Certainly not at three o'clock in the afternoon. There were people having their voices heard. Correct. And so when you just said that people, you know, are, are siding with them because they see, you know, the violence, there was no violence that afternoon. But now, the night I, before, there was. Right and before it was that day or that night, the night before? The, the night before. And there was that night too, but... It wasn't happening right then. No, but they don't see it that way. That's the thing. They don't see it that way, right? If there's any violence whatsoever, they lump it into a category. Why? Because we're in this place in 2020 where everybody wants to bury the, you know their head in the sand and not read any information that contradicts what they want to believe. So Trump very effectively baited people into a campaign commercial where there's all this fire and fury throughout American cities. And it's coming when he says it's coming from the suburbs, right? That's a bald faced plea to try and get back some of the suburban women that have had it with the indecency of his presidency. Right. And it's also a clear message to rural America. Right. There are people here in rural America that truly believe that that's going to beset towns of 500 like mine. You know, if Joe Biden is elected and that's insane. Right. You know, people in, in this part of the country have always been more scared. Right. Than the people that actually have to face these issues like terrorism or rioting. You don't have 500 minorities living in the area that you live in, do you? Within how many mile radius? Yeah, there you go. Within a mile, how about a 20 mile radius? I doubt it. I doubt it too. Yeah, I don't know. I've got two cities within a, two larger towns within. A, it might be close. It might be a close call, but it, it'd be a close call. We in my particular town. I don't know of any people of color that live here. But they'd have to get in the car and drive a long way to come and cause right. any havoc in the streets of your city. Yeah, and it's just it's never going to happen, right? Like, there's nowhere to do it, right? And you know, what we've seen is, you know, in the next town down, I mean, there, there was going to be a Black Lives Matter rally, right? It was organized by people everyone in town knew. They were, high, they were graduates of high school, right? Had to be postponed and relocated because people were literally making threats to come and shoot at them, right? We've had White Lives Matter rallies on our courthouse steps. And quite frankly, one of the most embarrassing things I've ever seen are these White Lives Matter rallies. I just, I don't get it. But 
got to understand folks in these areas are afraid. They're afraid of the, town, the, the plant closing down. They're afraid of losing a way of life that they think they have, right? And they think that as much as Trump is indecent, a lot of them would look at his Twitter and go, he's an idiot, right? He says dumb stuff, right? But they can't let go of it because they're so afraid of the alternative, right? And then we get back into the politics of abortion and guns. And what is the alternative that they're afraid of? The alternative they're afraid of is that fact that they're black people just existing? They're I don't think so. I think they have a picture of a dystopian universe, right? Where you and I right now sit here and look at this and say, this is dystopian on an epic level, right? They see, um, you know, they see it almost as if if Joe wins, you know, there are going to be riots on the streets of middle America. These Antifa people who really keep in mind don't exist outside of Portland are going to come and get us, right? There's a... Rural America has consistently throughout history been a story of believing in boogeymans, right? And urban America has, you know, um, has oftentimes fed that, right? Um, and you see scenes from cities, right? There are people in my county that don't leave the county very much, right? They, they you know, they don't go to big cities, right? And they see this on the streets of an American city and they, they, they buy the bullshit that it's coming to your town next. You know, one of the things that stood out in the, both the Cohen book and the Woodward book is the extent to which Trump kind of lives in an alternative reality where he constructs his own truth and people literally buy into that truth. How is it that with lies that are so obvious, can people literally ignore the truth? I remember, you know, a TV appearance of yours back in the day when that woman in Idaho was pretending to be black and was the local NAACP chair. And, you know, you said at one point when I was younger, you know, I was, I I dressed up as Dracula for Halloween, but I didn't think I was a vampire. Right. And I I think there's a little of that sort of um, um, delusion in some places, right? And you see it on the far progressive end too, where they're, they're pushing policies and things that are just not helpful, right? And, you know, I think that there is a, a people here in rural America have been taught to distrust people from the city, distrust. You'll hear a lot about how, you know, nobody wants those city slicker values and things like that. They have no idea what they're talking about, right? In the same sense, people from, you know, the coast, big city America, have absolutely no idea what they're talking about when they talk about rural America. And quite frankly, a lot of the problem that we have is a feeling in rural America that big city, urban and coastal America is talking down to them. And it's true, right? It is true. Now, it would be great if rural Americans would sort of take some responsibility for educating themselves about, you know, conspiracy theories, the president that they've irresponsibly elevated, right? You know, Ignorance is the kryptonite of rural America, just like arrogance is the kryptonite of urban America and, and coastal America. It's insane, though, you know, when you really stop and you think about the fact that this guy has been in office and every single day there's some new revelation of just borderline, ridiculous, egregious ignorance. Yet that side, those supporters, see through, not see through it, but they just let it go right over their head. That's okay. As long as 
we get what we want with judges as long as we get what we want with you know keeping a thumb on those those people then we're happy and i i just wonder what is it at the end of the day that they want do they want to go back to a time when they get to own people they want to go back to a time when it's okay to walk down the street, pull out a gun and shoot somebody just because you don't like the way they look and get away with it. I mean, clearly that's what someone thought, you know, that, that uh, idiot kid, 17 year old up in um, the Northwest that took a guy. He just thought he should be able to take his gun out and kill whoever he wants and get away with it. And there are people coming to his now, you know, defense saying that he should be able to do that. If he wants to be a, you know, a, a, a militia man and, and help protect property, then he should be able to kill whoever he wants. And I think the hard part, right, is cutting through the narrative that these people are being fed and by nefarious actors a lot of the time, right? Grifters and nefarious actors, right? You have a twofold problem, right? And it's on social media. These people believe, treat right-wing grifters as if they're, you know, um, Jesus's apostles, right? And they read on Facebook. They're so sure that this, all this nonsense that they're being programmed on Facebook so somebody else can get rich is true, right? That they forget to kind of think through the steps, right? And the, the left has the same problem. And they, they don't necessarily see the chaos the same way, right? You know, I remember telling folks, you know, he's on tape now. In, on, in the, the Woodward has tapes. Oh, every politician lies, John. Not like this, not like this, and not about these things, and not in a way that's, you know, Kyle Rittenhouse, you mentioned, who was arrested shooting people up in Kenosha, Wisconsin, right? You know, Kyle um, is a perfect example of what I say, sir, these folks in rural America, and even some suburban white kids, right? Like in, in you know, where, where Kyle lives over the border in Illinois, right? They're, they're retreating to their safe spaces, right? And, you know, these fantasy land that, you know, where they don't know what they want. So it's easier to just be angry or to live in fantasy world. And this kid got caught up with the Boogaloo militia, right, whose goal is solely to ferment a second civil war, a racial holy war, to be specific. And, you know, so that, that's the fact that they conveniently admit he wasn't going there. He wasn't there to protect anybody's property. He was there to play Rambo, play G.I. Joe in the streets. But at the end of the day, now see, I still, that, that's the question that I even have for these people. So do they just want to be able to sit in their living room and, you know, have an AK-47 and they can shoot out the front door and shoot any black person they see walking by? And to what end? To what so end? I think a lot of these people feel like America has left them behind, right? This has been you know, the Obama recovery was fantastic. It really was, right, for rich people, right? It, there's a broadening wealth gap, right, that these people are on the wrong side of. And, you know, they see, um, they have fallen into woe as me, right? Oh, the plant closed. Oh, you know, I, I, I don't have as much upward mobility as I wanted to because I never finished high school or never, never went to college, right? And they feel like America is passing them by and forgotten about them. And they've been told, fed these myths, like oh, the resources are instead going, how many times have I heard that like Democrats want to give health care to illegal immigrants? Like, no. But, you know, if one of these people shows up shot at a hospital, are we going to let them die? I mean, they, will let, they, they want to do let them die. If they, well, they, if you call them on that, right, because then they know they're screwed, right, because they, they, they know they're supposed to be pro-life, right? And what I tell these people all the time, right, 
You cannot be pro-life if you are sitting there supporting him having these damn airplane rallies where all these clueless white people are sitting together wearing no masks. You can't do it. He's already killed people at these stupid rallies, right? Don't tell me you're pro-life if you're out there supporting some dumb 17-year-old kid with a terrible mother, right, who, you know, um, was allowed to go play Rambo in the streets of a situation he didn't understand. It's no wonder people are dead. Like, you know, these folks, Donald Trump has allowed these people who are incompetent to feel competent. And that's, that's dangerous. But I mean, this whole idea of being pro-life is just, I think, just an oxymoron. Something well, is- some, there are real pro-lifers, right? It, like you, you talked with Hannah Cox, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago. That is an example of somebody who authentically believes in the pro-life, in, in, in being pro-life as, as an article of faith and pro-life all the way through life, right? Because a lot of these folks are just pro-birth, right? Being pro-birth and being against abortion isn't being pro-life. You have to be pro-life all the way through your life and through all phases. All phases, yeah. And, you know, clearly a lot of these people who step up and claim to be pro-life are not pro-life, period. You know, well, they, and that's they, one of the miracles, right? It's one of the ways that abortion broke the Republican Party, right? Like, you know, you're, they are now willing to elect crazy people if they promise to vote for pro-life, right? They will elect incompetent representatives to Congress who do very little except post on Facebook. My congressman is a great example, Right. Remember, there was an example of a blue falcon, right? And, you know, all he does all day is post red meat nonsense on Facebook. None of it's, you know, he's just catering to a group of voters, right? That, you know, because he has to really run the table with white people in the rural communities surrounding our most near city or he can't win election, right? So, you know, rather than try to go in and do what people like John McCain and conservatives of conscience used to do and stand up to this base, they just cater to it. Right, right. Well, now, you know, let's talk a little bit about the, both the, let's talk about the Woodward book for a second. Have you read the whole thing yet? I have not read the whole thing yet. Um, I have read the synopsis well enough to know what's in it. And that is a weekend project for me. You probably won't hear from me much this weekend. I'm going to be reading. Right. I haven't gotten the book yet myself. So I've just seen what has been covered on the news. But what's been covered on the news is pretty damning. It's, it's, it's not just damning, it's dangerous, right? Like when I heard, and I lost it, right? Like, you know, when I heard him on tape bragging to Bob Woodward that Kim Jong-un called him your excellency, a, 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 a moniker he didn't assign to Obama, right? I'm wondering to myself, okay, he's telling how Kim is smart and all the rest of it, right? This is a guy that has a million of his people in concentration camps, right? We have no idea how many people have died of coronavirus in North Korea. We can't get in. They could be on the verge of another famine, right? We, we, one of the hallmarks of this administration has been deifying war criminals, whether our war criminals or somebody else's. And, you know, if he can be won over by just a simple thing like being kissed up to in a letter, that's extremely dangerous. Well, we've seen that since the beginning of his presidency because he was really just infatuated with the fact that Kim reached out to him and, like you said, called him his excellency, but also, you know, has showed him a deference until Trump doesn't respond immediately. Then Kim goes in and fires off a missile or does something else and acts like a petulant little child and does something to see if he can get... Uh, He's getting played, right? And that's the thing I think Trump voters don't see, right? Because they were so mad about Obama, you know, blah, 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 you know. 
they, quite frankly, most of them are not people that could go into a room and, and, and handle that kind of geopolitical tightrope walking, like, you know, a meeting with Kim Jong-un. And, you know, they don't understand things like why we criticize him for meeting with Trump, Kim Jong-un in the first place. The answer is simple, because Kim Jong-un's goal in firing all these missiles, in no small part, was to have a meeting with the president of the United States, which is something the North Koreans have been, you know, um, seeking since their existence began. So he handed them everything on day one, right? And all he got in return is some letters. Right. And to me, when you're saying that, when he's on tape telling Woodward, the generals are idiots. They just, they're the ones that are creating these endless wars, right? I do think there's some warmongering generals in the Pentagon, but you know, for him to say that he is more experienced in military policy, international affairs than these generals, no, sir. No, I fear that, you know, he may try to take advantage of the, all these statements by starting a war in the next month, month and a half, or even after the election, just going ahead and firing off a missile at somebody, knowing that then he could declare martial law and try to stay in charge or something stupid like that. I mean, I think that there's no telling what this man might do. Let me do this. I got to take a little break, pay some bills. Let me take that break. I'll be back. And when we come back, I want to talk to you. You've been on, you were on Capitol Hill for the last week, right? Last couple of days. Yeah, I just got back yesterday. Let's talk a little bit about what you were doing, because I know you were doing some really, really, really important work. Let me take a little break. We're going to pay some bills. When I come back, we'll continue our conversation. You've been listening to, you know, Free Thinking with Montel. And our guest today is Mrs. Jonathan Franks, who is the President and CEO of Lucid Strategies, and he's also lead advisor to Montel Media Group. We're going to talk a little bit about what John was doing on Capitol Hill this last week. We'll be back right after this. Hey, guys, welcome back to Free Thinking with Montel, where today's guest is Mr. Jonathan Franks, who's the President and CEO of Lucid Strategies and also a senior advisor to Montel Media Group. Thanks so much for being a part of the show today, John. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. Look, you spent uh, a couple of days last week or this week on Capitol Hill. What were you doing? We were, uh, I took Trevor Reed's mother to Capitol Hill because uh, members of Congress introduced a resolution in the House um, calling for Trevor's immediate release uh, from Russia. And he has, everybody who Trevor Reed is so they understand it's a Marine. Trevor been- Reed's a 29-year-old former Marine um, who went to Russia to visit his longtime girlfriend, um, was going to spend the summer of 2019 in Russia. He's a college student. Um, he was going to do some immersion in the Russian language, which would meet his language requirements for college. Um, the, you know, he had been dating this young lady some time. You know, she had spent so much with his parents. Um, and, you know, one night in Russia, soon, you know, before he was scheduled to return, um, he had been in a party and he got sick on the way home and got out of the car, had needed to get out of the car. And um, the police showed up and everything was fine. You know, he was was just going to be picked up, you know, when everything was, you know, when he sobered up and everything. Um, And then everything fell apart. Right. And you think that the Russian government discovered that he was a former Marine. Um, The FSB got involved and suddenly there, although his interrogation included only, um, you know, questions about his Marine service, um, um, you know, the, the, soon thereafter, a, 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 a concocted assault on, on, you know, he was charged with a made-up assault on two police officers. 
and he's been held. This is day um, 398 that he's been held. He turned 29 in prison. He was sentenced for what, 10 years? Nine years, which is the harshest punishment for that particular code section of Russian law since post-Soviet record keeping began in about 1993 or 94. And has our State Department done anything at all to help get this guy out? Yes. Um, they, um, and remember, the U.S. government has a policy when U.S. citizens are charged with crimes, right? And they often sit back and let the legal process play out. But when Trevor was sentenced, convicted and sentenced, right, the, the State Department responded with a statement that the likes of which I have never seen from our ambassador to Russia, calling the conviction preposterous, the trial a sham. Um, he said it might be a mis called a miscarriage of justice, except that justice never entered the room. And that's the case. You know, Trevor's was conclusively proven innocent by videotape evidence. Um, you know, the Russian government worked out, went out of its way to destroy certain videotape evidence that would have proved him even more innocent. Um, it's not an issue of we're saying that, they're, that, that, that they didn't establish his guilt with enough evidence, right? It's that we're saying that they didn't establish his guilt with any evidence whatsoever, none. And he is being held along with Paul Whelan, who's an American businessman, who's also a citizen of several other countries, um, and, you know, a, 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 as bargaining chips. And now, uh, right now, the State Department is trying to investigate. I heard that uh, or saw something recently that he had a conversation with, I guess, his sister saying that, you know, he thinks he's going to probably end up being able to stay for the entire length of his term. Do you think that's true or what do you think? I think it's obviously these cases are hard to predict. Uh, we hope not. We hope that the appeals court, uh, the Moscow City Court, um, does the right thing and throws out this conviction because it's, it, it's procedurally flawed. Um, you, you know, it doesn't meet the minimum international standards, much less Russians, Russia's own standards for its own courts, right? So it should be thrown out at the next appeals court. And, and you know, we don't, we don't know. And, um, you know, in, in cases like this, often there's a political resolution rather than a judicial one, and it's hard to predict how long that will take. And now, is, is there a lot of Republican uh, pushback uh, or are Republicans getting involved and saying, come on, you know, we need to get this guy out? Honestly, you know, a lot of our momentum, we had a bipartisan resolution. This was a bipartisan event that, that, that we did to raise awareness, right? Um, uh, Trevor's congressman is a Republican. Um, so it's, you know, Republican, he's from Texas, right? So it's Republican introduced, right? This, you know, congressional effort is being led by the senior senator from Texas, uh, Senator Cornyn. Um, and, you know, what we're really proud to accomplish, right, is when that, that resolution was introduced the other day, it was introduced with original co-sponsors, con co sorry, it was introduced with the original co-sponsorship of both the vice chair of the Foreign Affairs Committee, Joaquin Castro from Texas, and the ranking member, the ranking Republican on the committee, uh, Michael McCall. Um, so uh, if you're going to have an inter a resolution introduced right in the House that um, calls for the, inter you know, the release of somebody from a foreign jail, right, it certainly sends a signal when the vice chair and presumptive next chair of the committee and the ranking member, right, come out on the bill as original co-sponsors on day one. Absolutely. And I should make sure I let out all my, everybody who's watching and listening, you know, John and I have worked very closely together. We worked very closely together for the last five years on helping to get 
U.S. citizens who were former military members out of prisons around the world. He worked uh, with uh, on Sergeant Tamarisi, getting him out of Mexico. He worked on Amir Hekmati, getting him out of uh, even prison. Michael White, getting him out. So, I mean, I, I think if anybody's got success in doing something, you are the guy that's going to do it if they're going to get done. Well, one of the things that we've been able to do, right, and is um, a lot of times what, what's, what makes or breaks these cases, right, is um, how well they're being managed, right, and whether there's somebody there to help these families deal with the difficult parts of the experience, right, that there's no playbook for, that the government can't deal with, um, and really kind of helping them walk through fire. Um, and, you know, ultimately, like, these cases are resolved by the U.S. government, right, not by us. But, you know, it is, um, there's a need for people who know what they're doing to help walk these people through the fire, waiting for the miracle to happen. And, you know, so I've never said, you know, the thought or said that, that, that what we've done, right, is the, the key factor, but boy, boy, have we gotten the government's attention. I'll give you a classic example in this one, right? Like, you, you know, um, Senator Cornyn, who has been amazing um, from Texas, came, you know, came on personally about 12 hours after getting a tweet from you. So he found out the situation happened, right? And, with 12, and within 12 hours, he's on the phone with the family right? And that's what leadership looks like. And we could use more camp, you know, we could, it, would, it would certainly help if more members would do that. I think one thing, as much as it's fun to criticize the administration, whether it was this one or the last one, right? One thing that they're doing well is the hostage enterprise. And, you know, President Trump appointed a guy named Roger Carson, a former uh, army ranger, um, as the special presidential envoy for, for hostage affairs. And He's the right guy for the job. He talks like an army ranger, not a, not, not a diplomat, which is a huge plus for, and, and a comfort to a lot of these families. And um, I, in a sense, I think the enterprise is going in the right direction. So we no longer have people like Jill Tomarese going to Congress and saying, why won't, it, why won't the president call me, right? We, we, we've kind of taken care of that piece, right? They're doing a better job. And one of the things that we wanted to talk to Congress about this week is giving that office, the special presidential envoy for hostage affairs, more resources so that it can do more work and help more people. Right. Right. Excellent. Well, yeah, let's go back for a second. You know, again, let's go back to the fact that in the last couple of weeks, man, there's been book after book after book after book that's come out with revelations about this president. And, you know, none of that, those revelations seem to move the needle. But I was just taken aback this week, earlier this week, when I heard about the fact that you know, the president had retreated you know, retweeted some disgusting tweet about Joe Biden being some sort of a pedophile. And then right behind it, you know, uh, um, his former attorney comes out and lets everybody know that, you know, the president was being such a pedophile freak. Uh, Michael Cohen said, you know, and, and his daughter was, appeared on CNN News talking about a time that at age 15, that the president of the United States at that time was a businessman looked at her and said, what a piece of ass. Come on. Are you kidding me? And I think, you know, anybody that's seen Samantha Cohen speak, right, this young lady is brilliant, right? And she has the Ivy League degree on the wall to prove it, right? She, to me, you, you know, there's a lot of substance about Samantha Cohen to speak to before you ever get to her appearance, right? 
And it's a shame that he was so objectified. But again, we live in this sort of weird environment where Trump's voters will allow him to take both sides of every issue, right? Because, you know, he may be a buffoon, but he's our buffoon. But he's our buffoon. I mean, I just don't, you know, these are people who call themselves Christians and call themselves, you know, religious and moral people who literally just ignore this man's immorality. Okay, so there's a set of them that actually does that, right? Like, there's absolutely a hardcore set that does that. Then there's another set, right? And the, it, this is the set that's, that's gettable, right? They are tired of, of the indecency, the inhumanity of it, right? And, you know, they, for whatever reason, have bought into a narrative that, you know, nothing would change under a Joe Biden administration. And I think that's, that's ludicrous, right? What they don't, um, Trump allows them to exist easily, right? You know, they can be mad about stuff. They can be mad about, you know, Antifa and all these idiotic red, you know, rabbit holes. He sends them chasing, right? When they're chasing rabbits, they don't have to focus on the on on the real problems that are causing the upset in their lives, right? They're, they they maybe they don't have the right skill set, right? Maybe they have haven't really had a lot of upward mobility. Maybe they would you know um, wish they had another job or doing something different, but can't sort of restart, right? People that are doing well and feeling good about themselves don't turn to movements like Make America Great Again. Yeah, I just well, it just blows my mind though that you know we've now existed with four years of this garbage. How do you think this country gets beyond it? Even if let's say the country does ex- decide to, you know, elect Joe Biden, let's say that, that happens, I think we're still going to be dealing with the fact that there's that large thirty nine percent that's not going to accept anything he does. We will, and one thing that Democrats need to think about right, is sort of how to communicate, right? You know, a lot of these folks that are soft Trump voters, right, aren't online much, right, like um, voted for him because they hate Hillary or whatever, right, but don't buy into the Kabuki theater, right? You know, we need to show a little bit of respect for these people, right? They can live in a world in which abortion is legal, right? They really can. They don't want it thrown in their face. I understand that. There's no need for it to be thrown in anyone's face, right? It's a very private thing. Um, you know, they can live in a world where they don't get everything that they want, right? It's just oftentimes the way the coasts speak, right? It's very paternalistic, right? They know they have the population centers on the post and in Chicago, right? You know, and um, that by popular vote, right? Like they can be outvoted, right? Like, and I think the coasts need to make an effort to understand towns like mine and people that live here, right? These are good. A lot of these folks are good people, right? And I will say that down to the bone. I don't think they're racist. I think they're clueless, right? And I think they live in a place where it is all white, right? Where they often don't understand um, the impact of some of the stuff they're supporting or saying, right? And you know, then a lot of them are just silent, right? And, and, and that has, you know, been a hallmark of American history, right? Silent white people. Martin Luther King wrote about it. Um, 
they know this is wrong, right? They, a lot of them know this is wrong. Do they, right? really, they don't see a better alternative. Do they really know it's wrong or do they yeah. just accept it and whatever? I think that they do know that it's wrong, right? And I think that there's some of this for whatever reason. And I think this is incredibly unhealthy, both for democracy and for people individually, right? Is they take criticism of Trump as if it's criticism of them. And that's crazy, right? I don't have the same criticisms of a lot of my friends who are Trump voters that, you know, I have of Trump, right? Because they're not running around being publicly indecent, right? They're, they're you know, yes, have they fallen for a snake oil salesman that is giving, leading them to make terrible choices? Absolutely. But um, I think people are going to have to be able to sit in a room and talk, right? We have two Americas right now. People are going to have to learn how to sit down and talk. Politicians are going to have to tell the truth to their voters, right? And we got to collectively lower the temperature in this country that Donald Trump is raised to sauna levels. Do you think that we have the ability to do that? Because I think that, you know, the temperature is going to go up even higher, especially it doesn't matter what happens, you know, on the 2nd of November. Even if Trump gets elected on the 2nd of November, I think there's not only going to be pushback from, you know, the left, uh, you know, uh, where they're going to come out and be angry, maybe protest a little bit. But I think there's going to be pushback even from the right, even once he gets elected, with them gloating over the fact that they got him elected again. And look, I'm going to show you what I can do. I can shoot him and anytime I feel like it, nobody's going to care. So I've never heard any of these people say they want to go do that, right? Like, I, I, I don't think that that's like top of agenda, right? I think you have a lot of people that believe stuff that isn't true, right? That, you know, the, the latest one I've been hearing, Joe Biden is going to take my guns. Yeah, right. Like, you know, it's a silly thing to be worried about. There are three, you know, 300 million guns. To quote your friend, Mark Kelly, how would the government go about confiscating 300 million objects it doesn't know the location of? And that's the reason why this country could never be invaded by anybody. That's the reason why it's easy for us to be destroyed from within. China will never be able to put a soldier on every street corner trying to keep track of what's going on here the way they do it in Hunan or in other places. Around exactly. So what, why be worried about it? Like, they're not coming for your guns, my guns, anybody's guns, right? They're coming for illegal gun transactions. And living in the state of Indiana, like, a lot of these conservatives are oh so, uh, pretend to be oh so concerned about what's going on in Chicago. Guess where the guns in Chicago are coming from? Correct. Indiana. Correct. Right? Where there's no rules, there's no regulation, right? And let me be clear, like, gun ownership, one thing I've learned living in rural America, right, Gun ownership works here, right? Like I have regularly seen people, you know, people conceal carry all the time. I hear gunshots during deer season, it's nothing, right? And I, you know, I always try to explain to people, right? Like this is the difference between living in California and LA and living here, right? You're a gunshot in LA, you're calling 911. Here I'm wondering what, what's for dinner. Right, or, you're, or you might duck because that bullet could come through the woods and well, for a while, I was hitting the deck when I first moved here, right? Because that's what you do when you hear gunshots, right, in, in the city. But, and people would look at me like, oh, that's just a deer rifle. And I've now learned to tell the difference, right, between a twenty-two and, uh, you know. But um, it, 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 they don't understand here, right, why guns are a different thing in the city, right? And the city doesn't understand how much better gun ownership works here, right? There are people here, right? with long family traditions of gun ownerships, and we're just not having gun crimes.
right? So we've got to understand that it can be, there can be two different realities in America, right? Where Chicago can ban guns and Hamilton, Indiana can celebrate a gun tradition culture passed down over many generations of responsible gun ownership um, that I personally wouldn't want to impact in any way. If anything, I want to make those kind of gun owners, you know, make their lives easier, right? I'm just concerned that somebody can go to a, a store in like Los Angeles where there's zero tradition of gun ownership, right? Zero knowledge, right? Buy a gun they don't know how to use, they can't handle, and then all of a sudden they end up shooting their kid in Walmart. Well, I'm concerned about the 17-year-old who picks up a gun and decides that he wants to be a militia man and go play militia guy. And that dude didn't come from Los Angeles. He came from a suburban area. Chicago, right? Like, and apparently he got the gun from a friend in, in Wisconsin, which I'm not sure I believe. Um, but, you know, and remember, he, that gun was that, that, that Kyle Rittenhouse had, that wasn't a normal AR. That was a high-end, six-hour AR that... You know, it's very much an adult thing, not a 17-year-old. I mean, just from a financial perspective, right? It's a $1,000 gun. Right, yeah. What do you think, right now, we're going to run out of time, but, you know, where do you think the, this presidential race sits right this minute? Where do you think it's sitting at? So, five. impossible to know, right? Because people like me said that they, they thought we knew where it was sitting last time, right? It didn't go so well. The thing that's interesting, right, is in a lot of these battleground polls, right, he, Biden is outperforming where Hillary was at the same time last year, and that's encouraging, right? But every vote counts, right? Particularly, right, I want to remind people that Donald Trump is president because of 80,000 people in Michigan and Wisconsin, right? And we cannot allow, and quite frankly, if Donald Trump wins your home state of Florida, I mean, sorry, if Biden wins your home state of Florida, Donald Trump has no path to the presidency. Right? That's not every really, vote matters. That's not necessarily true because again, the vote doesn't really matter as much as the electoral college. And sure, know, he has no electoral college path if he loses Florida, right? Because he's it, Trump's in a position again where he's got to run the table, right? So when you see Nate Silver or these guys saying it's seventy five percent, twenty five percent, right? That means if you run the election, you know, ten times, you know, um, Trump's going to win two and a half times, and Biden's going to win six and a half times, right? Like, so what happened last time is Trump had a unique outcome. Yeah, I don't buy that, though, because I'm telling you, this, I, I think that this is going to be way closer than people think. I think that the discussion that Reed Zakaria had two weeks ago is, is legitimate and true. You know, on Election Day, it'll appear that Trump is winning because yep. Republicans will go out and vote. And then you're going to see the tide start to shift. And let's say it even shifted enough that... Biden won the popular vote. I don't think he's going to get enough popular vote. He's got to win by 6% in every single location across the country. Not every single location. He's got to win by 6%. The odds of Trump winning if he wins 6% nationally is, is, is slim, right? But I think it is going to be close. I think it's going to be a nail biter. I think different polls are going to say different things. And the key message I have for people is if you want the chaos to end, right? Do whatever it takes to vote. I understand voting, voter ID laws are deeply and disgustingly racist, right? They put all kinds of blocks in front of you. Well, um, they put some roadblocks in front of Rosa Parks and she got there. She got where she was going, right? Do whatever it takes to vote because your, your, your future, your children's future depends on it. And I say that knowing they're going to be Republicans that watch this. 
And when more Americans show up, better decisions get made. Yeah, the world's future depends on this. I really And kids, right, who have been so new voters, 18, 19, 20, 21, whose lives have been thrown into chaos. They are smart enough to know that their lives would be not in chaos if Donald Trump wasn't president. So these guys have got to go out to get their absentee ballots from home, make sure they're registered, and go vote, whatever it takes. Doesn't it blow your mind a little bit, or does it blow your mind a little bit, though, you know, after that last uh, town hall meeting with uh, President with Trump, uh, there were several African-American people who made the comment, and there were several Hispanic-American people who made the comment that their minds still aren't made up. They're still making up their mind. I mean, I, I, it blows my mind that there's an African-American in this country that would vote for President for Trump. And it blows my mind that there's a Jewish person in this country that would vote for Trump. It blows my mind that there's an Hispanic or Latinx person in this country that would vote for Trump. But there are groups of them that are going to vote for Trump. Yep. And, you know, there's small groups, but they're groups. I mean, I think a larger number of Hispanics than, than, than African-Americans only because the Hispanic vote has traditionally been more open to conservative messages than has the black vote. And I don't think that means that there's... This is, he, he, Trump doesn't have a conservative message. Trump has a message filled with hate. I know. Um, but if you ask those people, they're going to tell you it's a conservative message, right? And you and I both know there are plenty of conservative-minded black folks, right, that vote Democrat holding their noses because they feel like they have no other choice. And I think that's what's going on here. I mean, you can always find a couple of black people at one of his rallies, a couple of black people supporting him here and there, right? And... You know, what, what, what's so telling is, the, what is you know, um, I often have a hard time with him determining what, his, what the motive behind his racism is, right? Is it partially, it, some of it is real hate that was passed down from his father. Some of it is that black and Hispanic people don't like him. So he's just, he's loading in racism because they don't vote for him. Right. And it's like, I'll show you, you're not going to, you're going to be too dumb to vote for Trump. I'm going to move in on you. Right. Yeah. I get, he's so sure that, you know, low black unemployment was going to get in black votes and it didn't. And when he realizes because he's lied about being responsible for low black unemployment, black unemployment shifted five points under Obama and only two points under Trump. Most people don't recognize that. They think that Trump's responsible for the entire seven points and he's not. Black unemployment. Was, was going down under President Obama quicker than it has gone down under President Trump. One way to see the economics here, right, is, and I think this is true, although I have criticisms of the Obama recovery because I think rich people got richer and poor people got poorer, but the fact is there was a recovery, right? And then we get into what Trump has done is take credit for the Obama economy, an economy strong enough that it withstand, withstood for years, his deliberate attempts to sabotage it, right? Both with these perverse trade policies and you know now an utter failure at managing COVID. Right. Utter and failure, right? Like you, you cannot look at the way he's handled COVID. And his people say, sure, he was a little late. Sure, but he's trying. And I'm like, no, he's not. No, he's not. Right? The, the young lady that came out yesterday who was part of Pence's staff, I guess yeah. staff, you know, I, that was uh, extremely telling also. But again, they get to basically label her a disgruntled employee. Right. 
try to dismiss any of her comments, but very, very telling when, you know, you, you hear what she's quoted Trump is saying by the fact that, you know, he, he didn't want to shake those disgusting people's hands anyway. That sounds like something that would come out of his mouth. Yep, it does. And uh, quite frankly, Montel, it's not just, I think he, so when you say disgusting people's hands, right, I think he has a pretty broad brush definition of disgusting people, right, that include any, look, I mean, he's called our troops suckers and losers for signing up, right? So I think he would, I think the man doesn't want to shake his own voters' hands, right? And that's something I've tried to explain to people, right? He sees his own voters as this sort of, you know, riffraff that his doorman keeps away, right? Right. Like whether black, white, or polka dot, right? He's still not shaking hands with these people. You kidding me? Like, where, show me when he's walking rope lines, right? Like, he thinks his own voters are dirty. Right. Well, and, and a part of that's just because he's a German voter. Right? understand it. They got to remember that this is the guy that we have now tasked with and given the responsibility for a button that he can push anytime he damn well pleases. Yeah. And, you know, he has gotten rid of all the guardrails. So, you know, back in the day, we thought, all right, how much, he's a clown, but how much damage can he do? Because he's got Jim Mattis and, you know, all the other generals around him, right? Like, and, you know, quite frankly, I, and, and again, you know, I have tremendous, tremendous respect for Jim Mattis. I think he's an American hero um, that will be written about for generations. I think he has, he is ill-equipped for such a dishonorable world, he needs to go on television. He needs to go up to Congress. If he thinks going on TV is dishonorable still, go to the Congress. Yeah, absolutely. Well, my friend, thank you so much for being a part of Free Thinking today. We're out of time, and this has been such an unbelievable conversation. You definitely got to come back. Again, ladies and gentlemen, this is Mr. Jonathan Franks, who's the president and CEO of Lucid Strategies and also a senior advisor to Montel Media Group. And we got to say thank you enough for being here. And I hope that people continue to do what you know you got to do. And that's keep tuning in to Free Thinking with Montel. And vote. And vote.